Welcome to The Buzz. I'm Christopher Conover. This week we're taking a look at desegregation and diversity in the Tucson Unified School District. The Tucson Unified School District began its official desegregation in 1951, but its legal trouble began in the 1970s. In 1971, the U.S. Department of Health, Education, and Welfare found that TUSD schools were providing unequal education to students of color. That led to class action lawsuits brought on behalf of African American and Latino students. In 1978, a federal judge found that nine TUSD schools were in violation of equal education laws. The plaintiffs and the district agreed to a settlement that included a TUSD plan to desegregate the schools. After 30 years, a federal judge agreed to release TUSD from the desegregation order so long as the district produced and followed a plan to work towards educational equality. That decision, which the plaintiffs appealed, was reversed by a federal appeals court in 2011. Two years ago, the district was granted partial unitary status, a legal term that acknowledged TUSD had made progress but still had work to do. That decision is also being appealed, which brings us to the present day. In December, TUSD asked for a total end to court supervision. TUSD Superintendent Gabriel Trujillo says that's because it's no longer a desegregation case. The Tucson Unified School District, we are probably the most diverse school district in the state of Arizona. I think when you get past the talking points of the plaintiff representatives that we deal with, that, you know, we need to desegregate the district. The district is desegregated. 60% of the students attend a school were no major ethnic sub subgroup. I'm talking about Anglo, Hispanic, or African American is over 60%. That's tremendous. 27 of our schools, that's more than a quarter of the district. Also, at their respective student bodies, no major ethnic subgroup is over 60%. That's really, really good. This is no longer a desegregation case. What it is, is an academic achievement case. And our fundamental argument is no district in America, in Arizona, should be under federal court supervision for academic achievement. That's why we have the Arizona Department of Education. There is no school, you said, with uh, more than 60% of a particular ethnic group. How did the district achieve that? We, we got there through a variety of ways. And so I want to clarify, we do have schools in what are called racially concentrated areas of the city, where historically these neighborhoods have been predominantly populated by one ethnic group or another. Places like South Tucson, right, or on the west side of Tucson, predominantly Latino neighborhoods. I'm not referring to those schools. We do have schools where we have uh, major ethnic subgroups that are over 60%. But it's certainly not the case in 27 of our schools, and it's certainly not the case that 60% of our student body attends such schools. Um, and we got through the diversification of the district uh, through the strength of our programming. You look at really three big ones. Um, number one is gifted and talented programming. I think has really become a driving force in TUSD. And with GATE, we call it GATE programming, interspersed throughout the district. It's been a huge driver for integration for us. 
Secondly, I think you look at the strength of our dual language programs, Alive and Well in 14 schools. We've seen these programs become some of the most diverse in terms of bringing families from the east and the west and the center to just about all corners of the district to really, really help um, integrate areas that traditionally have been serving some of these racially concentrated areas. We have done some really innovative things with transportation, creating express busing routes and creating expedited routes that will bring families in from the east into schools of choice in the west in the central city. And it's been able to really help us diversify this district beyond what anybody thought would have been possible 20 years ago. You mentioned the dual language programs. That's one of the issues that the plaintiffs in this case say TUSD is lacking in. You've just filed a response, you the district. You disagree. In that response, you said you have an additional 200 kids coming into those programs. If we're that lacking, how are we able to increase by two or 300 kids? How are we able to programmatically expand to the extent that we're now in 14 schools? Why would they approve of our multi-year expansion plan? So I think to the everyday listener, just having to understand the dynamics of a court case, you hear some of these talking points and they simply are not supported by data, such as that the district is still segregated. That's just not supported by data anymore. So I think that at this point, the job of the plaintiff representatives, they need to remain relevant. They need to remain influential. It's to their benefit to keep the case going because it is their belief that it is their involvement that drives the good things that happen for students in this district. And it's their belief that if they cease to be involved in this case, that the district will fall back into old patterns. We, of course, disagree with that, but that's why we're in this case. You mentioned at the very beginning of this that this is not a desegregation case anymore. This is an achievement gap issue. So how does TUSD solve the achievement gap? The achievement gap for African-American students and Latino students as compared to their Anglo counterparts is a nationwide phenomenon. And achievement gaps speak to not gaps in intellectual capacity, not gaps to student potential, but simply gaps to access and opportunity. And it's a flashpoint to jumpstart the conversation about poverty. And traditionally, it has been our African-American and Latino communities that have been hardest hit by poverty. And what poverty does is rob you of access and opportunity. If we're ever really going to be able to address the achievement gap, not just here, but in America in general, we have to recognize that the biggest structural change that we can make is universal access to high quality early childhood education. That's the answer. For that gap to close, you really have to take on those structural issues of inequity. And the biggest one is early childhood education. Is there something specific TUSD can do or you want TUSD to do to start to close that rather than wait for the state or the Fed, which we know moves very slowly on things like this? We've seen some signs of light in some of the initiatives that we have going in our ability to start closing the achievement gap. The tricky thing is without those structural changes like universal access to early childhood education, you have the challenge of taking students and making sure that you are enriching their current curriculum to the extent that you're helping to catch them up 
but at the same time, keeping them in an environment where they're learning current curriculum. You can't remove them and remediate them because then they'll fall behind on current curriculum. That's the dance. And what we've seen be very successful so far are things like extended day. Extended day allows students who have fallen behind on content, particularly in the secondary world, to attend after-school programming, usually in an online environment. We call it a hybrid approach where there's a teacher facilitating and helping in small groups. But we have an online product through Ingenuity that helps kids. It's interactive. It has videos. It has a lot of content that will present key concepts that have been missed. It, prevents, it presents them in a new way. Meanwhile, the kid remains enrolled in their current math or English class during the day. Court documents have also talked about racial disparity when it comes to discipline within TUSD, specifically for African-Americans. How's the district trying to address that? Well, with the African-American students, it's still a huge area of concern. Um, we're very proud of the fact that now in 2020, as we sit here, there's no longer a disciplinary gap um, between Latino students and their Anglo counterparts. So it's kind of a half victory for us. Um, unfortunately, we're still dealing with a gap with our African-American students. And one of the things that the district is going to be pursuing in the coming year is implicit bias training for all of our staff. So all of our employees system-wide understand the concept of bias and how we all sort of bring preconceived notions about all kinds of groups to the table in our, in our daily interactions, not just for African-American kids, but what we as Americans and, and as people bring to work every day in terms of preconceived ideas and notions about the elderly, people with disabilities, about women, about Native Americans. So if the court agrees and grants TUSD what's called unitary status, releases you from the, the desegregation order fully, what's the plan going forward to make sure that somebody doesn't file suit and put TUSD back in this situation? I think because we're so far ahead of other districts with regard to integration, it's going to be hard to do that. The next step is also to bring some relief to the taxpayers of the city of Tucson and Pima County. Now, that doesn't mean that we're going to stop levying for desegregation funds. It means that we're going to instantly reduce the amount of money that we're asking from taxpayers and really take a hard look at the programs in our schools and make sure that we're only levying the desegregation funding necessary to keep those programs alive in schools that have put us in this such a great place of integration. All right. Well, thanks for sitting down with us. Thank you very, very much. That was TUSD Superintendent Gabriel Trujillo. This week, we're taking a look at the decades-old desegregation order on the Tucson Unified School District. Last December, the district petitioned to be released from court supervision. TUSD says the district is no longer segregated and it can implement improvements in educational attainment without court oversight. The plaintiffs in the case disagree. Thomas Sines is the president and general counsel of the Mexican-American Legal Defense and Education Fund, or MALDEF. He says students of color in TUSD still do not receive equal educational opportunities. So far, the district has been unable to demonstrate to the satisfaction of the courts that it has complied with many different aspects of a plan designed to remedy the original violation that related to 
uh, segregation in the schools and denial of equal educational opportunity. MALDEF, your organization, is currently challenging the Tucson Unified School District's partial unitary status. Uh, You're making that challenge in the U.S. Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. Why does MALDEF think that TUSD should not have been granted that partial status? We we think that the district had not yet adequately shown that it has complied with all of the requirements uh, in the areas where partial unitary status was granted and that it still has to show a stronger track record to believe that it will have in place over the long term what it needs to have in place to address the violation. What types of changes or things specifically do you want to see TUSD do? Well, at bottom, any segregation case is about equal educational opportunity. So in this case, as in most such cases, the number of areas that can affect the provision of equal, oppor- equal educational opportunity are many. So there are actually different areas, some related to, as you might expect, student assignment to schools, but some related to curriculum, some related to teachers, some related to discipline, some related to physical plant. Uh, there's, as in most such cases, uh, a set of different obligations with respect to different areas because the courts have recognized that so many elements of education can affect equal educational opportunity. Since TUSD got under the desegregation order and then was placed under a partial order, have they made any progress in MALDEF's opinion? Well, I think there has been progress made, uh, but it's also important to recognize that over that number of years, many things have changed in the district, including the demographics of of its student body. So even though there has been progress made, it does not mean that there is not a need for further progress and further demonstration that the steps put in place to attempt to guarantee equal educational opportunity will continue. There may be people surprised that this is still an issue. When we think about segregation in schools, we think about well-known U.S. Supreme Court cases like Brown versus the Board of Education, which for many people is more than a lifetime ago. Why is this so difficult to work with in the federal courts? We, we often, all of us, reduce Brown versus Board, Edu- Board of Education to a shorthand about separate but equal being rejected by the court. And, and that's certainly one summation of it. But really the case is about equal educational opportunity and a recognition by the court that you can't have separate facilities, segregation, and have a hope of providing equal educational opportunity. So when you recognize that these cases are about equal educational opportunity and understand that providing equal educational opportunity is a complex endeavor, then I think it becomes easier to understand why not just Tucson, but so many of these cases uh, tend to last many years. These kinds of cases are really the, the vast majority of cases dealing with equal educational opportunity in our federal court system. And and that is a result of a decision in the 1970s by the U.S. Supreme Court, a case called Rodriguez versus San Antonio Independent School District, where a majority of the justices concluded that education is not a fundamental right under our Constitution. Now, the upshot of that is it means the only way you can get into federal court 
on issues of educational opportunity is if you can demonstrate intentional racial discrimination, which, as you might imagine, is very difficult to show. When it comes to racial segregation, we can find schools in, in many areas around the country where the majority of the population is a racial minority. Are those segregated schools, or is that different than what we're talking about here? It's different than what we're talking about because the U.S. Supreme Court also decided uh, that only segregation that is intentional is challengeable in court. So if, as a matter of the way housing developed, the way different income families may be distributed, but there are other ways that you can end up with segregation that is not a result, or at least that you cannot demonstrate, is a result of intentional racial discrimination by by school district. And, and that's why we do see so many school districts where there is a concentration of uh, particular racial minority groups, uh, particularly in inner city schools. When we talk about this case, we hear a lot about racial achievement gaps. We also hear that's a problem all over the country. Is there something school officials or even parents can do to address that issue? So I think that addressing the education gaps that we do see across the country requires a commitment from a number of different entities. Certainly, school districts can do more, and that is a complicated endeavor that involves ensuring that you are taking all of the steps to guarantee equity and to concentrate resources and concentrate strategic planning and concentrate uh, teaching on trying to reduce those education gaps. Certainly others in the community can play an important role. We, we all, I think, as a practical matter, recognize that the education uh, of children is not something that is confined to the schools. It happens everywhere. And if there is a joint effort by city government, county government, school district, private sector on reducing racial education gaps, I think that's when you're most likely to see the greatest success in an actual reduction of those gaps. So what's next in this case? You do have to resolve these issues about what more the district needs to do. Part of that is with the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, and part of it is still with the district court that is considering now what other elements need to be addressed further before the district can be relieved of the court oversight. Thanks for taking the time to chat with us. Sure. Good talking to you. That was Thomas Sines, president of the Mexican-American Legal Defense and Education Fund, which represents Latino students in the TUSD desegregation case. The Tucson Unified School District has four student services departments that work to address the needs of different populations. Lupita Gamez works as a college and career readiness specialist with Mexican-American Student Services, which serves about 60% of TUSD's student population. She says equity departments like hers are critical. 
we're just fighting the fight for equitable education. We just want everybody to have an, an equal opportunity to different things that are in TUSD or in my case for higher education institutions. Um, so we're really that person or that department that empowers the students and the parents to, you know, advocate for themselves find opportunities that are there in the site or just district-wide and if we need to be that support system then we will um, but it's also in terms of being culturally relevant as well so we need to make sure that we're being aware of especially with our hispanic community um, how are we bringing in the families so for me personally when i'm talking about college and career readiness usually what you would see is you would see a, a high school senior working with a counselor to do this college process that is completely different when you're working with me. I always like to tell the families, it's not just your student going to college, it's the entire family. Um, so in TUSD, we have Mexican-American Student Services, African-American Student Services, Native American, and um, Asian Pacific. So what specifically are you doing as a college and career specialist that's different than just your average guidance counselor, if you will, or somebody on staff who's helping prospective college students, hopefully future college students, get their essays done, get their applications in on time, make sure they've taken the right tests and all of that. A lot of my job, what I like to describe is um, how do I get everybody to be on the same page? With That's also with the families, the faculty, the admin, the students. It's, it's a community effort. That's the way I like to think of it. So, um, a really good example of how I how I do that is I actually collaborate with Early Academic Outreach at the University of Arizona, and we do College Academy for Parents, which has been a program that's been thriving in the Sunnyside District for sure. But it was not in TUSD, so that was kind of something that I took on. Um, I'm this is my third year now doing it. I've had my largest cohort this semester, and essentially what it means is a five week program where um, parents get a bilingual workshop every week about college admissions, what is FAFSA, Where's, what is financial aid, what do I have to do right now, while at the same time the students are getting their own college workshop. But the program's intended for K-8 through families. So, well, I guess you need to start thinking about it exactly, early. You shouldn't yes. be thinking about it second semester senior year. And unfortunately, a lot of the Hispanic families don't even think about that because they're not some of them haven't graduated high school some of them haven't gone to college so they don't know when is the appropriate time to get ready you know it's funny because in this program you see students be like oh my gosh I think I really want to go to college and then they get those extra like uh, services and tutoring for math and reading and writing but then again I also see parents that are now enrolling into the U of A and being like I want to go back to college like it's inspiring them too and that is exactly the kind of outcome that we want when we're doing programs like this when we hear about Mexican American students in TUSD a lot of people who have been in town for a decade or more will will remember back to the whole controversy around Mexican American studies did this program come out of that controversy or the desegregation case what I learned a lot about was that, you know, obviously the ban happened, but we had key teachers, key players that were fighting to keep Mexican-American studies afloat, help with the creation and the inception of Mexican-American student services. So um, our department was established in 2012. So it was a bit after the ban that had happened. We've heard a lot of talk 
through this desegregation case about the racial achievement gap. Is that something you're part of working to close? I think all equity departments currently are striving to close that gap. But I think I feel like in recent months we've heard like it's it's more about just closing the achievement gap altogether. So, I mean, we're 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 doing this work where we're targeting specific populations. Um, but, you know, sometimes that's just not enough because unfortunately, not all of our equity departments work the same. Currently, I'm doing college tours, for example. So I take about 200 TUSD students to U of A, NAU, GCU, um, NAU, all of those colleges. And yes, my targeted population is Mexican-American students. But I have African-American students, Native American students. Like I have these different types of students who aren't being provided these resources. And it's it's simply just because our programs, our, our departments are formatted differently. And I mean, in in retrospect, it should be like that. We shouldn't all be functioning in the same way because our our populations we're servicing are tremendously different in numbers. Um, and then the cultural aspect, too. Like um, I know for like uh, Pan-Asian student services, a lot of their work is about translation because I think TUSD has maybe over 27 different languages. Um, so I think when we're talking about the the racial achievement gap, we're still working towards it. I mean, we're currently implementing programs. Um, right now, one of our um, program specialists who does academic empowerment is currently collaborating with the College of Education um, at the University of Arizona and our CTE, so our uh, career technical education, and created a program called Each One Teach One. So essentially, it's targeting students of color to be teachers in high school. So that's something that we, we realize our students of color can, when they see a teacher of color in front of them, that right there creates a connection and in better terms, it might even increase their grades because they feel connected to the classroom. They feel connected to the curriculum. They feel connected to the teacher. They see not only a mentor, but they see themselves in the teacher. And that's exactly what we want to see. If TUSD gets out from under the desegregation order, is your office still there? So that would be a, a question for my director. Um, but, you know, funding changes every year. And that's just the thing when K through 12 education funding changes, positions change. I mean, I've seen it. We've done a restructure. I've been in the department for three years. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if we had another, honestly. Well, thanks so much for sitting down with well, us. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. That was Lupita Gamez with TUSD's Mexican-American Student Services. And that's the buzz for this week. You can find all of our episodes online at azpm.org and subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for The Buzz Arizona. We're also on the NPR One app. Ariana Brocious is the show's producer and editor. Vanessa Ontiveros is our production assistant. Jim Blackwood is our production engineer. Duncan Moon is the interim news director. And our music is by Enter the Haggis. I'm Christopher Conover. Thanks for listening. Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.